world is waiting, whether they know it or not. It's a story they'll hear from shepherds. It's an impossibly true encounter with God discovered in a stable. And nothing will ever be the same. We'll hear a cry from a teenage mother giving birth. We'll listen to the consoling words of a father who himself needs consolation. And we'll experience the birth of a child, the birth of this child, and nothing will ever be the same. The extravagant lengths to which our God will go to be born into this night, into this darkness, and into this dirt, and all to prove to us, even as we're running away from him, just how wildly he loves us and pursues us. Nothing will ever be the same because nothing can ever be the same. So may the familiarity of this event never lull us to sleep. May we awaken this year to the new life being offered by this Prince of Peace. May our eyes be opened wide to see the gospel wrapped in flesh, this news that truly is the best news we could ever hope to receive. For we are the ones who are waiting whether we know it or not. We are the ones whose hearts long to hear and hear again the story the shepherds are telling. We have become the recipients of the wild pursuit of God. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our love. And because of Jesus, because of this child and all that he'll become, nothing will ever be the same. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, show of hands, how many people, when they were in the, uh, the foyer uh, before service, were saying good morning instead of good evening out of muscle memory? All right, well, I know that I am certainly not the first person to say this to you tonight, and I hope that I also will not be the last person to say this to you tonight, but Merry Christmas. Uh, I am very grateful that you are here tonight, uh, that you chose to spend your Christmas Eve here at Meadowbrook. Uh, if you are visiting with us tonight, or if you uh, were invited by someone to come and join us tonight, I am especially grateful uh, that you took the time in your evening uh, to come here to worship the birth of the Messiah. Uh, or I should say, worship our Messiah who was born this night, I should say. If you are interested in learning more about uh, Meadowbrook Christian Church, uh, if you want to learn more about anything that you saw or heard tonight, the way that you can do that is if you fill out a connection card. Uh, you can find that in the seat back in front of you. You can drop that in our offering box by the back door. You can also go online and you can also request information there. But I would love to connect with you and answer any questions that you may have about who we are, what we do, and what our mission here is as a church. Uh, I, I guess I should also introduce myself since there's a lot of faces here that I don't know. My name is Daniel. Uh, I'm the teaching minister. That means I get to get up here most Sundays. We get to open up God's word together and see what it says for us. Uh, I am very grateful that I have the opportunity to do that tonight because tonight we are going to share uh, what is very easily considered the most important night in human history. Now, Christmas means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, though. Maybe not everyone here tonight views it as the most important night in history. But I think one, one place where we can be united this evening is I think that even though Christmas may mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, I, I think like the video we just watched says, I do think that most of us still see this as a season for hope and a season for peace and a season for joy 
and it is still a season for love. These are all really good, universal things. These are great things that I know that we all want to have more of in our life. The problem is, though, is very often we do not do a very good job of actually um, expressing those things this time of year because there are such grand, big things that they are often very hard for us to to embrace uh, and to represent. Hope and peace and joy and love in our exuberance to try to show off those things or to try to, to, to reach the peaks of those emotions that this season stirs within us, what often ends up coming out is not necessarily hope and joy and peace and love. Well, what ends up happening is this becomes a season of extravagance. And there are examples of the extravagance of the Christmas season all around us, everywhere that we look. Uh, has any, I'm, I bet you almost everybody's going to raise their hands. Has anyone seen the, the lights down on Main Street in Rochester? Almost everybody. Isn't it a lovely, extravagant thing? that the town absolutely goes all out for. Um, Again, we're still kind of new to Michigan. It's our second winter here, but this year we went for the the lighting ceremony of the town. Was anybody else there for that? Just me? Okay. (laughs) There was a lot of people there, believe me. It wasn't just me. But again, they close Main Street down, so you can walk all through the street, and all of the lights are off. And then there's a countdown. It's five, four, three, two, one, and everyone yells, Merry Christmas, and at once over a million lights all light up simultaneously. Christmas music starts blaring from loudspeakers, and and over the southern horizon of the town, fireworks start to go off. I have no idea what the town of Rochester spends on this, but if you have a Rochester zip code, you probably know that you're paying for it in your taxes. It is truly extravagant. There's a lot of, of, of very extravagant Christmas displays in our area. Um, I haven't been to this one yet, but I've seen plenty of uh, pictures of downtown Detroit this time of year. Right? They set up the beautiful ice skating rink. There's a giant Christmas tree that's erected. Uh, you know, I often picture downtown Detroit as this place that is very gray and devoid of joy. Right? A place that looks like some sort of, of urban hellscape, but all of a sudden it's transformed into this glowing spectacle. For some reason, uh, many of our examples of extravagance this time of year seem to focus around twinkling lights. Uh, there, there's a, a video that's been going around social media for years and years about these homeowners that go all out in their extravagant Christmas light displays. Have you seen the ones where the houses actually look like they're alive and they sing you Christmas carols? It's, it's pretty stinking extravagant. Um, there are, though, of course, examples of Christmas extravagance that do not revolve around the idea of, of twinkling lights. Um, even churches find themselves drawn to this idea of needing to be bigger or brighter or more extravagant than they normally would be this time of year. And, and I don't say that as a criticism. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not being critical of extra extravagance in church this time of year. We all can have our own opinions on how we feel about this. But again, have you seen the video of this mega church in Texas where there literally is little drummer boys flying across zip lines across the congregation as they glow in the dark and rat-a-tat-tat on their drums? Again, whether you like it or not, it is extravagant. I see examples of extravagance in the advertising that is shown to me this time of year as well. 
the most enduring example to that for me at least in my lifetime uh, comes from the, the car company Lexus. Uh, I know in Detroit, you guys like to think there's only like three auto manufacturers, there's no one else in the world, but I'm going to break it to you, there, there, there are Japanese car companies. And this particular one has done a very good job for decades and decades being incredibly effective at trying to convince you to spend extravagantly at Christmas. So all their commercials, they go something almost always like this. You see a very attractive woman. And she's in perfectly matched Christmas pajamas. Maybe she even has one of those hats with the little balls on top of it. And she's sitting in her living room as her 2.5 kids and her golden retriever play over in the background. And, and she gets approached by her, her classically handsome husband, who's holding a, a very small box in his hand. And of course, it's meticulously wrapped. He smiles at her knowingly, and she opens that box. And what does she find? She finds a key. She excitedly, she runs to her driveway and what is waiting for her with a big red bow on top of it is a $90,000 SUV. Talk about extravagance. It makes most of us in this room probably, uh, if, if our wives were holding us to this standard, they'd probably be pretty disappointed tomorrow, amen? I shouldn't speak for you, but I know my wife will be. Here's the thing is I know that these ads are very effective. Uh, again, from my time in the auto industry, every single year, men would show up buying cars for their girlfriends or for their wives. I even remember on several occasions, part of the negotiations, it was that, that we had to acquire them a giant red bow for the top of the car, just like they saw in the Lexus ads. Consumerism is probably the place where we see the extravagance of this season most commonly expressed. Uh, and as a husband and as a father, I, I get it. Um, it is very easy to get sucked into wanting to provide a great Christmas experience for your better half or, or, or for your kiddos. Uh, I completely understand the expectations that are placed on us to at least dip our toes into the waters of extravagance and in the gifts that we give. Um, it, it, you may not know this about me. Some of you do, at least the people sitting in the front row I know do, but I am a person, I do love giving gifts. Uh, I am that rare exception that I actually would rather, <clears throat> excuse me, give a gift than to receive one because I love seeing the joy on someone's face when I am able to give them a gift, knowing exactly what it is that they wanted. So I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. Uh, I'm going to bring two of my favorite people in the world up here on the stage with me, my two oldest daughters, Sydney and Peyton. I know you guys have been anxiously awaiting for this moment. Come on up. Yes, please. Sydney, you're, you're over here, Peyton, right over here with the red bow. What's the point of being a pastor if you can't occasionally embarrass your kids? Uh, that's the first reason they're up here. The second reason that they are up here is I did think it would be fun to bless them with a little gift tonight in, in front of our church family. Um, don't open anything yet, okay? Follow instructions. Make me look good here, okay? Okay. Um, Listen, these are my two oldest daughters. I have four daughters. If you guys don't know that, all of my daughters are very different people. Uh, I love them all equally. I try to, to know them and know their interests and their desires you know, equally, but they are very different. The things that make one happy are not the things that are going to make the other one happy. Uh, but tonight, I did put some effort and some energy into thinking of a present that I thought would please both of you. Because as their dad, right, there's maybe only one other person in the world who should know what these girls want as much as I do. And if I drug her up here on stage, I would have a miserable night, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Listen, again, I am their father. I know their needs. 
and I also know their desires. So again, who better to provide them with a gift on Christmas Eve than their father? Um, before you guys open anything, I just, you can answer honestly anything I say. You don't have a microphone, but just give me nods. Do you guys believe me when I say that I love you and that I, I know you and I know what it is that makes you happy? We agree? Okay, we're all on the same page. Perfect. Okay. Um, Peyton, you're going to go first. Please open your gift. When you open it up, pull it out. Hold it up high so everyone can see. What is it? it it's a Squishmallow. Does anybody know what Squishmallows are? Okay, my daughter Peyton, she loves Squishmallows. If you ever walk into Peyton's bedroom, you will see 40 Squishmallows? Over 40, yeah. Over 40 Squishmallows. She has hammocks hanging from the wall. She has closets packed to the gills of Squishmallows. So, so I know that if I want to make Peyton happy, a Squishmallow is what she needs. Do you like it? Is it cute? It's a little Yeti. She, she loves him. Okay, I did a good. I did good. Yeah. Okay, now Sydney, in one second, I'm going to ask you to open your gift as well. But I want you to remember, when you open your gift, remember, I love you. I know what it is that you need. I know what it is that you want. Okay? Probably better than you even know what you need yourself. Okay? Um, I know you worked all summer. Right? She had her first part-time job. She did a great job at it. But here's the thing I know about Sydney is that if she really wanted a Squishmallow, I know that she would just go online and order one for $6 and it would be in our mailbox the next day. So I had to get her something different. But I, I stand. I still want to give you a gift. Go ahead, please open your gift up. Hold it up high. A hundred dollar bill. Hold it up high. Isn't that what you wanted? That's exactly what she wanted. Listen, this is the problem with the way that we choose to express the extravagance of Christmas. Is it too easily turns a season of hope and joy and love and peace into extravagant consumerism, which will almost always lead to comparisons and feelings of inadequacy? Peyton, you love your Squishmallow, right? You, you still love it every bit as much? All right, here's what I'm going to do, girls. Put, put your gifts back in the boxes. Sydney, you're not actually getting $100. I'm sorry. No. But there we go. You can leave him poking out if you want to there. It's okay. He'll just be spying on us for the rest of the service. All right, well, I can't take her anywhere. Go sit down. Okay, I'll sit down. All right. So in what way does this align with the real story of Christmas? Uh, the, the true story is undoubtedly the most extravagant story that has ever been told. Uh, tonight, I do hope to present it to you in a very simple way, maybe the simplest way that I know how to. Uh, again, I am aware that there are many, many extravagant ways that this story can be told, but, but perhaps we should be looking for the extravagance of this story in the simple realization that, that God the Father, in his great love for you, that he gave you a gift. And being a good father, he knew exactly what it was that you needed. And he knew what you needed better than you knew yourself. He, he knew deep down what all of your brothers and your sisters who are sitting in this room with you, he knew that they all needed the same exact gift. 
And tonight I'm going to read for you the story of the first Christmas. And I'm going to read it from a familiar place. We've already heard part of the story tonight from the second chapter of Luke. Uh, it's not the flashiest way to tell the Christmas story. I understand that. But, but it is this piece of scripture in the second chapter of Luke that men have been sitting down on Christmas Eve and reading to their families for generations and generations. Uh, it, it's a passage of scripture that preachers have been reading to their congregations on Christmas Eve for many, many years. So tonight I'm going to read the first 21 verses of Luke chapter 2 for you, and I would encourage you to simply listen. It begins in verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You may not know it yet, or you simply may not believe it, but what I just read to you is the most extravagant story that has ever been told. It's a story that is somehow simultaneously relatable and miraculous. It's a story that is compelling to the human condition that pulls at the heartstrings of our souls to be able to, to read about the most significant event in human history, and it's written for us in such plain terms. Within these 20 or so verses in Luke, Luke is revealing to you the moment when God's great plan for salvation to save the sons and daughters whom he loves is finally beginning. It is coming to fruition. 
all of the pain and all of the, the suffering that, that we just read about as we trudged through the book of Judges, it has all been building here to this moment when a choir of angels would crescendo, when they would lift their voices in verse 14. Again, it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this crescendo by the multitude, it comes after that first angel shows up and he makes this heavenly statement to these lowly shepherds. In verse 10, he says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, in Luke chapter 2, it's these two verses for me that the best show us the extravagance of Christmas. The extravagance, the extravagance of this monumentous moment in history. So if you would humor me, we're just going to break down these two verses just a little bit. Uh, again, we see that an angel appears, which is always a good start if you're going to tell an extravagant story. But the question is, to whom does the angel appear? And the answer is that he appears to a small group of shepherds. These men who were living kind of off on the fringe of society, uh, again, these men were not society's most notable the angel did not first come to the rich man or the religious man or the educated man. He first came to some guys who were just out in the field doing their jobs, trying to provide for themselves, trying to provide for their families. These were guys that were doing a hard job, a dirty job, very honestly, often a dangerous job. And the first thing that the angel tells them is, do not be afraid, which is also very good news. If you're ever approached by an angel, that is the first thing that you want to hear he says, do not be afraid, he says, because I have good news. And it's not just good news for them, but it's good news, he says, that will bring great joy to all of the people. And in that inclusivity of that statement, our ears should perk up. Because again, what this angel is saying is whether rich or poor, of status or of squalor, that this was indeed going to be good news for all. You know, we would come to understand that this Savior that was born, that he would not just be for one group of people, but that he would be for all tribes from all nations. So this is good news for all of us who are sitting in this room today. It is a huge part of what makes this story so extravagant. Right? This is not just some, some other Christmas tale of something good that is happening to someone else. This is not like the Lexus commercial where the well-to-do family is getting blessed with something more than they already had. Right? Every single one of us should be able to see ourselves in those shepherds. This message of good news that should bring us great joy, again, it was not delivered to, to senators or emperors or even to the priests. This message was brought directly from heaven to normal, everyday folks. And that is truly crazy. And then this one angel who delivers the message, he is joined by a multitude. And you may ask how many are in a multitude, I may not know, but I like to picture an army of angels that are filling the sky. And they take this exceptional message for all people and they're going to take it even a step further. And they're going to again offer something that is truly extravagant. What they proclaim is an offer of peace. And they say it's an offer of peace to all with whom God is pleased. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Now, again, I, I did it earlier, but again, I'm going to speak for everyone in this room that gathered here tonight, but I would assume that there is no one with a straight face who could tell me that they don't want more peace in their lives. I think deep down, we all do. Um, there, there may be some of us that, that woke up on the wrong side of the bed, that rolled out of bed this morning ready for a fight. Right? Maybe you left the house angry this morning, just waiting for someone to insult you or cut you off in traffic so that you would have an excuse to explode on them. But even if this is you, I can't believe that you want to feel that way, that you want to be continued to be weighed down by darkness and by anger. People are always seeking peace. They're seeking it for themselves and they seek it for their families because peace is universally a good thing. This is exactly what the Jewish people were waiting for at this time period. They were waiting for a Savior that would come and a Savior that would bring them peace. Now to them, that meant that they were waiting for a great warrior king that would be born. A king that would come and he would throw off the shackles of oppression and he would free the Israelites from Roman oppression. Because once that happened, that's when they thought that they could finally live in peace. But the people of Israel, they would not get that peace. That peace that they thought they had been waiting for, again, for generations and generations, it would not come. This, this baby who was born in a manger, he would not rise up, he would not recruit an army, he would not throw off the oppressors. In fact, within a few decades of his death, Rome would actually annihilate the people of Israel. They would destroy God's temple. They would evict the survivors from their homeland. So what kind of peace is it that these angels are referencing? Well, first off, if we want to answer that question, they tell us who it is, again, that is going to receive peace. Right? Peace is going to be received by whom God is pleased with. So if tonight, if you find yourself here and you are hungering for peace... If that sounds appealing to you, the question that you have to ask yourself then is, well, how do I please God? If that's who gets peace, are the ones that please God, how can I do that? Am I pleasing God? The good news that I want to share with you today, uh, tagging along on the back of what was told to those shepherds, again, this good news is truly extravagant. Tonight, what I'm going to share with you is a very simple answer to what you might mistakenly think is a very complicated and nuanced question. What I first want you to hear is that when you think of peace, just like the Jewish people did way back in the day, the very first thing that most of our minds will go to is drawn to, to having uh, physical blessings in this world. And if that's what you think of when you think of having peace as having more of something, you could very easily misinterpret what is being said here to mean that, that if you please God, that you think you're going to have health and that you're going to have wealth and, and that, that God is always going to spare you of heartbreak, right? He's always going to step in and take care of you to make sure that your life is always at peace. But again, good news, what the angel is actually offering you is much, much more than simply that. You see, because again, those type of blessings, while you are in the midst of an intense struggle, they do feel momentarily like they are going to bring you peace. But the problem is, is that often, often those type of blessings, they are only temporary. And here's why I think that is. I, I see it so often as you receive something like a squishmallow that you love. 
and you look to God and you celebrate and you say, thank you, God, this is exactly what I wanted. This is the blessing I asked for. I feel so much joy and hope and love and peace because this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what I wanted. God, this Squishmallow is going to fix all of the problems that I have. Thank you so much. And you mean it when you say it. Right? Deep down in your heart, you are extremely grateful. But then you look over across the way and you see someone who you believe that your father has blessed better than he blessed you. And in your defiance and in your rebellion, you look and you say, God, I don't understand it. Why did they get all of that when all I got was exactly what I asked for? You know, God, if you would have only given to me what you would have given to them, then I would have real peace. Then I would have joy. Then I would have hope. Then I would feel your love. God, do you know how many $5.99 Squishmallows I could have purchased with a $100 bill? And before you say, oh, not me, right? I would never talk to God that way. I'm going to get out in front of you and tell you I don't believe you. Because it's human nature, right? At some point... At some point in our lives, I think we all have done it. And when we find ourselves holding the thing that we've asked for but being upset about what we did not get, we do not have any peace. Every parent in this room can attest to this. Imagine what my home would be like tomorrow morning if this is how I doled out gifts on Christmas morning. I would have a civil war on my hands. There would be no peace in the Swigard household. So how do we please God? How do we experience peace? You first have to understand that what God wants to offer you, it is not a cheap imitation that you have to settle for. He is offering you real peace. Real peace is something that our human minds have problems fathoming. Because real peace can only be experienced when we are walking alongside of our Creator when we are walking in his will. And the problem is, the reason that there is no real lasting peace for us here on earth is because all men are sinful. You see, we broke that bond with God. We destroyed the peace that could have been for all of us on earth. And now we live in this state of eternal separation from peace, the peace that is the presence of God. And the good news that is so extravagant is that this was not an acceptable situation for our loving Father. He decided that He would prepare for us the most extravagant gift that we have ever and could ever receive, that He would provide for us a way that we could bring ourselves back into unity with Him. A way that a fallen man like me, who has failed and fallen short over and over again, could regain access to heaven. Heaven being a place where there is only peace. So, to come full circle, maybe Lexus has had it right all along. You know, perhaps the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive truly is a key. It's not going to be a key, though, that unlocks the door to an upcycled Japanese mid-sized sedan. You see, Christmas offers you the key that will unlock the doors of heaven, will unlock the doors to eternity. Jesus Christ is that key. Those who will receive peace 
or salvation will be those with whom God is pleased, and the key to pleasing God is Jesus. I cannot please God without him, because without the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will always be nothing more than a flawed sinner. And a flawed sinner in their natural state, again, will never experience peace. A flawed sinner cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. I should have to receive for my sin what it deserves, and believe me, it is not peace. I may not have time to explain all of this to you tonight, but I wanted to just very quickly use one verse to tell you what it is that I do believe. And it's from 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Because of the most extravagant Christmas gift that has ever been given, a gift that is given to all humanity so that no one could ever look across the street and say that you have blessed my brother or you have blessed my sister more. No one can ever say that anyone else has received a larger portion because Jesus Christ, he, he left heaven and he became a man and he lived among us. And what we believe is that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. And it is your faith in this, in him, that cleanses you from all sin so that you can experience real, true, and eternal peace. Right? Not a superficial, temporary blessing, but a peace that will transcend this reality. It's a peace that comes from the comfort of knowing that, that whatever trial crosses your path in this life, that, that this world, that this life that we are in, that it is only temporary, and knowing that Jesus Christ made a way for you to be redeemed and set free from the curse of sin, that will bring you peace. As we approach uh, the end of this service, we are going to share in a time of communion together as we do each and every week here at Meadowbrook Christian Church. To remind us that indeed... God did come to earth and he became man. That he suffered and that he died. That the, the baby that we celebrate the birth of was only born so that he could serve as our sacrificial lamb. Right? Jesus Christ was born in a lowly manger among the animals and he died upon a lowly cross surrounded by evil men. All so that you would be able to one day look lovingly towards a promise of peace. Now, when, when we share communion here at Meadowbrook, we're going to have ushers that are going to step forward after I pray. And they're going to be passing these trays up and down the aisle. If, if you believe in what I, you just heard me say, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is your Lord and He is your Savior, then I would encourage you to share in that communion with us. You do not need to be a member of this church nor any church to participate in this. As the trays pass by you, you're going to lift up two cups stacked together. In the bottom is a, a cracker that represents His body that was broken for you. And the top cup is juice representing His blood that was spilled for you. When you are ready, when your heart is prepared at your own time, please go ahead and take those elements. Anthony, our worship minister here, and his daughter are going to be blessing us with uh, some special music during our time of communion.
And when they have finished, we also are going to all stand together and we are going to sing Silent Night. After our ushers bring forth the communion uh, elements to you, they're going to come back around and they are going to help you light your candle. If you did not get a candle when you came in, there are more in the back and I would say it would be a wonderful time for you to quietly sneak yourself back there and get a candle. Now, you may be asking, what do I do if I am not a believer in Jesus during this time of communion? Uh, you also have an opportunity right now to respond to his offer. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord, but you have felt that pull on your heartstrings this evening, what that is, is that is the God, the creator of the universe, reaching out to you personally and telling you that he wants you to have salvation and peace. So during this time, I'm going to be standing right over by this lovely candelabra over here. And if you do have any questions, if you do want to respond to that call, I would encourage you to step forward. After we sing Silent Night, we are going to close with a word of prayer. And truly, from the bottom of my heart, I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Let's pray.